But one of the main, a fundamental difference between the two is just our clientele, right? Like traditional therapists are licensed therapists um, and they're, they're really working with people that are not functioning all that great. And they're trying to get them to a place of functionality, right? They also um, diagnose they, some of them will manage medications and, and that kind of thing. Coaching does not do that. We're working with people that are functioning fine, you know, but want to get to an optimal in some area of their life, right? So we also do not diagnose and there's no, you know, medication management or, or any of that. So that's important to note. You're listening to the Coach Up Podcast, where coaches come to learn how to build their coaching businesses to six figures and beyond. I'm Kanisha Hart, your host. Here on the podcast, I get the privilege of interviewing coaches who've already made six and seven figures in their coaching business and are willing to pull back the veil and share with you the strategies, the habits, the techniques, and the tools they use to build to that level so you can do the same. Whether you are a new coach just starting out, or you've been in the business for a while, but you aren't seeing the growth and the revenue you desire, the Coach Up Podcast will give you insight on what you can do next and what you can do now to accelerate or revive growth in your business. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Coach Up Podcast. Let's go ahead and get into it. I'm so excited to bring today's episode to you with Aleka Thorvalson is how I believe we pronounce her last name correctly. She is a longevity coach in the coaching industry. She's been in the industry over 20 years, and today she brings so much to the conversation around the coaching world and how to successfully build a coaching business that can sustain and thrive. That if you are a coach and you are new in the industry, you need to hear this. If you have been in the industry for a while and you're in that place where you're pulling and you're tugging and you're just not sure how to grow, how to scale, if you even want to continue just because things are getting tough or they're not as going as well as they used to, this is the episode for you. We talk about everything from how to evolve in the business to the benefits of being professionally trained and being certified as a coach. We know that the coaching industry is not required to be certified. And so we talk about all the benefits that go with that and the impact that not being certified and being certified have. We delve into a number of other topics, but ultimately the reason you want to hear this episode is because Aleka shares truly how to master longevity in this industry so that you can continue to be filled up, to fill others, not get burnt out, and have a thriving, long practice in the coaching world. I won't take up any more of your time. Let's get into this episode. Aleka, I am going to say thank you so much for being here and being on the Coach Up Podcast platform. I am super excited to talk to you, not only because you are a coach that doesn't really have a niche, which is <laughs> so not the norm these days. Um, but also you have been a coach for a long time. And so I won't spoil it so that people can hear who you are, what you do, but will you tell us who you are, what you do and how long you have been coaching? Sure. Thank you so much for inviting me on, um, on your program. So my name is Aleka Thorvalson 
And I am a PCC level coach. So that means that I have my professional coaching credentials through the International Coaching Federation. And we can talk about what that means at some point today, maybe. Um, I have been a coach, a life coach for over 20 years. So, you know, I've been doing this a while. Um, And so I have experience in working with individuals and families and businesses and couples and groups um, during that time. And in the last five years or so, I've kind of transitioned into teaching. So I coach a lot of coaches, right, Um, to just in a mentorship role, as well as some of the training programs that I've created. And you said, how long have you been a coach? Uh, over 20 years. Yeah. I think it's like 22 years now. Yeah. Which is so amazing because Aleka, when 20 plus years ago, did people really know what coaching was? Mm, yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, not, not really. So about 20 years ago and the way that I got into it is I was actually working on my master's in clinical psychology and I realized this isn't you know, my jam. This isn't exactly what I want to do. And um, I can certainly expand more on why. But at the time, there was something called positive psychology, but it was more like coaching. Nowadays, you can do whole schools of psychology that are in positive psychology. But back in the day, it was seen more of a coaching modality. And so that got me into coaching. Um, And so, yeah, it really resonated with me at that time. But to answer your question, coaching wasn't so much of a thing. I mean, it, it was, but it's certainly not the, the you know, hearing it on just, it's everywhere now. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, coaching, coaching, you read articles about it, you, you see coaches, we we know so many coaches, um, but no, back 22 years ago, it certainly wasn't as mainstream. So you, have, you were brave to step into the space. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I think I was just doing what I was meant to do. Mm-hmm. And so it was, it had a name. And so I went, okay, well, I guess this is what I do. You know, I think back then it was more even associated with like sports coaching, but I would, in fact, people would even say that it's like, I'm a, it's like I'm a sports coach, but for life, you know, and not specifically for sport, you know, so it was that collaborative, um, you know, working one-on-one with clients, that same client-centered approach that we have in coaching now but it was seen a little bit differently. I guess people needed something to relate it to because- I think so. <laughs> yeah, coaching makes sense in sports. Right. But a coach right. for your person or business, not so much. Not back then. Nowadays, I think that's changed a lot, which is great. But back then it was, you're doing what? You know, um, <laughs> but it was, um, I mean, I, I I loved it back then. So I'm not sure- the name sort of stuck or I just adopted it to, to my style of working with clients. Right. I am curious what positive psychology is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Positive psychology is, is sort of like when you look at psychology and it sort of branches off into its many branches of study, kind of like if you talk about yoga and there's all these different styles of it, you know, psychology is sort of similar, like anything where there's all these different, um, sort of tree branches to to the to the main um to the to the to the main um stock of the tree and in you know positive psychology is really looking at the self as not broken right it's really looking at the self or symptoms as they have information to tell us it's really a client-centered approach so it really allows 
hey, the answers are found inside of you. You're not broken. You know, it's just information. So it's just a much more, I guess, positive way of looking at the psyche rather than some of the, you know, old school Freudian kind of, you know, complexes and there's something wrong with you and and all of that. So it was a really wonderful way of, so it's a branch of cognitive um, behavioral therapy or just cognitive therapy that really looks at the the psyche as a, as, as a whole. Mm, okay. Yeah. Oh, now something else for me to learn about. I just learned about appreciative intelligence yesterday. Nice. Um, okay, so you obviously know what this is. Well, and I've just, um, I've done a lot of trainings over the years because of the coaching um, credentials that I have. I have to keep them updated. And there actually are positive psychology coaching programs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I did one, I think about, gosh, uh, um continuing education program, maybe like five years ago, six years ago. Um, and it was, it was really wonderful. So I would encourage anyone to go learn more if they are coaches and like that modality. Yeah. As you mentioned, as you were talking about the positive psychology, you mentioned therapy. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, people talk about therapy and coaching and there's a yeah. separation when you talk to coaches, but I don't know that people outside looking in really know what's the difference between therapy and coaching. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that's such an important question. So I really appreciate you bringing it up. Um, It's one of the questions that I get, you know, um, so much in this field. And there are some really important fundamental differences between life coaches and coaching and, and traditional therapy. And I think it's really important for clinicians to know that coaches and other therapists are helping professionals. And I also think it's really helpful and important for clients to know that, mm-hmm. to know what the difference is there, because there is some overlap and that, that will happen too. So we can, we can speak to what that overlap is, but one of the main, a fundamental difference between the two is just our clientele, right? Like traditional therapists are licensed therapists um, and they're, they're really working with people that are not functioning all that great. And they're trying to get them to a place of functionality, right? They also um, diagnose. They, some of them will manage medications and, and that kind of thing. Coaching does not do that. We're working with people that are functioning fine, you know, but want to get to an optimal in some area of their life, right? So we also do not diagnose. And there's no, you know, medication management or, or any of that. So that's important to note. Does that help as a fundamental kind of the beginning? It does. Okay. But I'm sure there's more. There, There is more. And I think that it's also really important for coaches to really be aware. And if you go to a school that's accredited or works with the International um, Coaching Federation or any of the big organizations out there, they're going to hammer this into you, this this point I'm making now, which is you have to be diligent as a coach to understand your scope of practice and Mm -hmm. when we need to refer out. It's really, really important. Um, And so that's something that when I work with my um, coach students, we talk a lot about because sometimes that 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 area is pretty gray, um, and there's some really fundamental um, reasons why we would want to get a client to uh, refer out to another clinician, right? Um, but another indication or another difference between therapy and coaching is the orientation. So a lot of um, 
therapists or therapy in general will focus on the past, right? Mm-hmm. Like what happened to you and, and, and trauma and unsolved issues. And that's really important to kind of go back in that way. Coaching, on the other hand, is more of a present focused and future focused practice. We tend to not, you know, let's go back into your childhood and 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 dig around in trauma. Although every once in a while that shows up, but the intention if we do go back is to always go forward, mm-hmm. right? So if it's showing up here, okay, maybe it started there, but let's focus on changing it now, right? So that time orientation is a very important difference as well. And it's, it's worth noting that the line between coaching and therapy can um, sometimes blur, as I named, as I as I said, because some therapists actually go into a coaching model. And I actually work with a few of some of my students or traditional therapists that decide they want to be coaches for various reasons. And um, and then some coaches like, you know, I, I can speak for myself, have been trained in some uh, psychological models. You know, so for example, uh, positive psychology coaching is one avenue, um, internal family systems, which is a, is a psychological model that I'm also trained in. You know, I can use that model working with coaching clients. So it can kind of go both ways. The most important thing as coaches um, is that we are just really, really aware of our scope of practice and how we're helping our clients and being responsible to that. I also think it's really important to work with other helping professionals. I have a network of colleagues that refer to me, um, you know, and then I refer out. Um, and so we really can, um, traditional and otherwise, that we can really support one another in the process. So don't think just because if you're referring someone out that you won't be able to work with them because there's lots of ways that, you know, you might be able to offer a service as a coach that a a traditional therapist may not and vice versa. So I really like your last point because in talking with coaches, one thing I don't hear a ton of, I hear it some, but it's really great to hear you say it is the network to work with. Mm -hmm. And so knowing your lane, and then having people that you've either done business with or you've built a relationship with that you trust that you can then send your clients to if they need to. Because again, if somebody is paying you to coach them, there's an element of trust that they are putting into you. So you want mm-hmm. to be able to continue that by sending them to people that you also trust. Um, and so it's, it's really good to hear. Coaches should have therapists to send people to and therapists should have coaches, to mm-hmm. send, which makes a lot of sense. Okay, but as you talked about knowing the scope, and even if there's overlap, and you mentioned this, so maybe the training that you do, and I'm sure it is, but for those coaches who may not be trained, professionally trained, certified, how do they know when it's time to refer out someone Mm -hmm. or a psychiatrist or a, a clinician? Yeah, that's a really good, it's a really good question. And I would refer those coaches, I mean, I'll say a little bit about it, but I'll refer those coaches to some of those organizations because that those are some really important training skills that they would need. And the great thing about those organizations is if you have those kinds of questions, you can literally talk to somebody in the ethics you know, board to be able to help you with that. But every coach should do an initial call 
with a client to see if you're a good fit, you know, for the client and for the coach and just to, to kind of get a gauge of um, what the client is looking for. And if there's anyone that has a, um, you know, an active diagnosis, like if they come to you and say, you know, I've been diagnosed with this thing um, that I, you know, personality disorder um, um, that I want to work on with you, that would obviously be something that you would need to refer out, right? Because that's not our scope of practice to provide therapy for those kinds of things. Certainly, if someone comes to you and says, hey, I'm working with a, a clinician um, on my anxiety disorder, you know, my general anxiety disorder, and they're helping with me medication management. We're doing some work there, but I would really love just some to talk about some stress reducing activities. And I think we could really, you could really help set some goals and make that happen. That's fine. Do you know what I mean? Because there's a collaboration there and you can even get, um, you know, some assurance and some release of confidentiality that maybe you could even speak to their provider and vice versa. So you guys could be on the same page. Anyone that has an active addiction that is, it's truly affecting their quality of life, that would be something to refer out. Anyone that's actively suicidal, that's important to refer out. Anything that feels like, oh, I don't know exactly how I, what I should do here. Anyone that's suffering from um, something that just feels like it's beyond your scope of expertise and really more focused on the mental health aspect of it rather than the goal setting and, and kind of positive way of, of optimization is something to refer out. I mean, there's a lot more nuances there, but that gives you some idea. Yeah. You mentioned the word a lot of that as you were talking, I was typing this question. And so it just segued right in. You mentioned confidentiality. Yeah. And as you were talking, I thought this is not a, a lawyer, attorney, client privilege situation yet in the first initial conversation, to your point, you're looking for information to understand, is this within my scope of what I do and what I don't? Mm -hmm. And there's obviously some confidential information that can be shared. Do you, from your experience, do you recommend that coaches have some kind of contract before even meeting the first time just to establish that confidentiality or how do you approach that? It's it's a great question and it's so important to the trust of the relationship. You know, confidentiality is one of the key points in 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 coaching ethics because it's really important that someone feels safe before they can make changes. Um, so typically what I do is I have an application form on my site, right? That's, it's a confidential form that people can fill out. It comes straight to my email and it's pretty general. It's pretty general, but it, it spells out the difference between therapy and coaching kind of right off the top. So someone would fill it out and read it. And if someone has questions about that, we talk about it. So it, it kind of allows someone to be able to, um, talk about, you know, just general questions about what they're looking for. And even from there, I can get a really good indication if this is someone that I might want to work with or um, want to refer out. And then we'll do a call from there. Um, I talk about confidentiality right from the beginning. I mean, usually when I talk to any client right off the top, you know, it's it's in the vault, as we say, right? Um, so I, I do tend to talk about it um, even even initially in in the in the call. Gotcha. Okay. I was thinking from the client's perspective as well as protection for the coach as mm, well. Yeah. What tell me more about the protection for the coach? Well, as you mentioned, 
if they may have suicidal tendencies. Mm. I would think that would need to be reported, but can that be reported by a coach? Well, I mean, anyone that typically coaching is not regulated, it doesn't follow the same uh, guidelines as a mandated reporter, like a therapist, right, of which that would fall under. But obviously, if someone is actively suicidal, I mean, that would be an indication that you'd want to get that person help as best you can. You, you know what I mean? It's that that's a pretty rare thing. Personally, I would probably risk confidentiality to be able to err on the side of someone's safety in that regard. Um, but you're right, we're not mandated reporters necessarily. So there is some some gray in in the, you know, in the legal aspect there. Yeah. yeah. But to your point, from the moral aspect, want to get that person some help. Yeah. Yeah. And there's definitely ways to do that. If someone is calling you because they are wanting help, they're probably wanting help. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And so if you can talk to them about what's going on and saying, hey, I may not be the best fit. This sounds really big, but I have some amazing people I'm going to put you in touch with right now. Would that be okay if I shared your information with them and their information with you and you guys can touch base? You know, if someone's calling you, they're they're wanting help. And so they're probably pretty open for that. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, thank you for expounding on that. As, as you were talking, that did bring up, brought up some. Yeah, I get situation. it. It's important. Yeah. You also mentioned an application and that's also something that is new, I think, to me. I don't know that I've mm-hmm. heard that a bit. So did you always do an application with your clients or is it something that over time as you grew in your practice, you realized, okay, this is what I need and why I need it? I think I probably did an application of sorts all the way along. I mean, before when I started doing this, remember like the internet wasn't so much of a thing, right? Right. Like we talked to people, people called me. Uh, um, and so I did a lot of stuff that way, you know, on the phone or even mailed stuff to people, um, which is so interesting. So I probably did it about 12 years ago because it was just, Hey, these are some key points. These are some things to check out you know, let, let's make sure we're all on the same page before we even get started. Um, it also was, I found it was saved time that when I got on the phone with someone after that, I could just go right to specific points. It also helped clients, at least this is what they say, clients help them get really clear because they're pretty clear questions about what they want. So I, I think it helped everybody. So no, I didn't have it the entire time, um, but it's been really helpful for me. To okay. just be able to say, you're interested in working with me. Great. Here's an, here's my online application to fill out. And then I know, you know, plus I do coaching and then I do mentoring and then I do training. And so it helps me to know like which, which space that person is probably going to engage in, in my practice. Okay. So I'm going to come back to the mentoring, training, coaching, because I need to understand the separation of that mm-hmm. as well. Um, Cause I think a lot of people put mentoring and coaching together. Mm. Um, so curious to come back to that. I, I do want to ask really quickly though about the application. Do you use it as a sort of, um, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Separator is not the word I want to use, but that's the only one that's coming to mind. Um, the sorter, I guess, of mm-hmm. who would be a good fit and, oh, you may not be ready yet. And I may need to send you to somebody else. 
is that the purpose of the application in addition to right providing you information about what they're looking for yeah i mean i think it does i think it it i like to work with clients that are really motivated to change and i think one of the questions on my application it's been a minute since i looked at it but it's how motivated are you to change you know what have you tried what's worked what hasn't because I do tend to, at least at this place in my career, really want to work with people that are highly motivated. So I think it does help them to, to, to kind of name for themselves or isolate, oh, wow, what do I want to change and how motivated am I? You know, so I think there's there's a level of motivation that it takes to even fill out the application. So I think that that sorts in some way. Um, more than anything, I think it's just efficient. It saves time. It helps me to have a clear understanding of what somebody needs even before we get on the phone. If I just talk to somebody on the phone, what do you need? What's going on? You know, it's just not as efficient for either of us than to just have it right there. On their time, they can fill it out. On mine, I can read it. And then we can hit the ground running. Yeah. So I, I would imagine that it does have some sorting capability. But from my perspective, it's more which place is this person going to maybe, you know, want to be in in my coaching practice? rather than are they a fit? That's more for the client to decide through the questions, I think. Gotcha. Okay, that's helpful because um, I think it is a great efficient, as you said, way to gather information yeah. before you even meet your initial clients. And I think it's a good takeaway that coaches can say, oh, okay, that's something that I can implement as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. Sure. So as you said, it also helps you to figure out where they're gonna go in your practice. So you where mm -hmm. you train and you coach. Mm -hmm. Alexa, what's the difference? <laughs> Great question. Yeah, I'm sure there's some overlap. So coaching clients are coming to me typically one-on-one -on -one or as a couple. Um, I, I do both um, quite a bit. And they have a specific issue and it's kind of all about them and you know what's what we're working on, what goals we're meeting, um, where where we're focusing. So we're just, we're doing, you know, just coaching. I'm coaching them. Mentorship is in my, now again, this is just my definition of it, right? I mean, it could mean many different things to other people are usually coaches or therapists or helping professionals that, that are, I'm training or working with, and they come to me and do, um, in therapy world, we call it supervision and coaching world. We don't have to call it that, but they have questions for me. Okay, I'm working with this client and this happened. This is really frustrating. I'm noticing I'm getting really triggered about this particular thing. And then maybe we do some coaching on that. But it's not so much focusing on their own life per se and their own issues. It's focusing on their practice or mentor mentoring them professionally. Mm -hmm. Right. And and how and sometimes it's business building, sometimes it's, you know, just noting um, you know, where they're stuck or challenged in creating their business. And then the training is specific to different modalities that I've taught. For example, um, I taught a training on at the beginning of the pandemic. So interesting how this worked out. Um, I, I was doing a training on uncertainty, which is so ironic because then the pandemic hit and it was like, welcome to uncertainty. Right. Um, so I did a training for that. And typically those are per, like professional trainings for coaches that want to help specific aspects um, working with their clients. Like if their uncertainty is so much a part of change that I get a lot of questions about that. How do you help someone navigate change if they're feeling so uncertain? And so we did specific training on that. 
There was another um, training I just completed, which I called, um, it was a, it's kind of like this concept of shadow work or seeing these unseen parts of ourselves. Um, and so that style of coaching. And so we just got done. I just got done with a training on that with other coaches wanting to learn a specific modality. So that's the difference between them. Gotcha. I think about training as you teach something and then you're done. Right. Like you, you may never see those individuals ever again, but they, True. they took away some knowledge. I like the definition of mentorship. And I don't know that I applied it when comparing coaching and mentoring the way that you did, but it makes a lot of sense. Like, especially when you're talking about professionally, something I, you're working on, I can answer questions for you. Whereas when I think about coaching, you're answering the questions. Um, yeah, so makes sense to me. Well, you did that beautifully. You, you answered that question perfectly. Well done. I'll use that. I, just, I was just restating what you said. That, that, I love it. I love it. That makes sense. Okay. So you you were just mentioning you've trained coaches and you said, Aleka, your business has evolved over the years that now you more coach and teach coaches. Mm-hmm. How did your business evolve over to get to that? Yeah. Well, I don't think it was intentional um, necessarily, which is probably an interesting um, uh, observation. Um, I I think it started, maybe it evolves in the way that all kind of, you know, first you, um, you learn and then you kind of work on your craft and then you teach just it's sort of like evolution of a lot of different um, spaces in which we we live. So I think it kind of just evolved to a place where I had other people saying, other professionals saying, I want to do what you do. And so I thought, okay, well, I should look into that, you know, or if, if I have more people just asking questions about, hey, what you're doing there, um, I want to learn how to coach in your style. So I, I, I mean, honestly, it just evolved because the the audience was there. People were asking questions and I thought, oh, let me form a group, right? And then I formed a group and then it was another group. And then, okay, now I have another group. um, And then let me do this specialized training. You know, is anyone interested in this? And yes, I am. Okay, well, I'm doing that, you know? So um, it just evolved out of of necessity. Um, I certainly didn't sit down and think, okay, this is what I'm going to create. It um, it sort of found me. Mm. I think that comes from what I'm hearing is you do a lot of continuing education. For I do. Yeah. yeah. How do you prioritize that? And what do you do? Well, I mean, the coaching um, accreditation board that I'm a part of, you're required to do a certain number of hours every couple of years. So, you know, you, you and like all good accreditation boards, you know, you should do that. Um, and so because of that, I just am able to do all the trainings that I want to do. I mean, I probably have more trainings I want to do than I actually am able to do, right? Um, because there's always something new and interesting showing up. Um, so I, I prioritize it because it's it's really important. And it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, I just kind of set off the time in my calendar. Like, this is what um, that I need to do. And it's required. So. Right. What? Yeah are you learning or what do you want to learn? You mentioned there's more that you probably want to do than you have time. What do you want to learn? That's a great question. So um, most recently, and I I mentioned this previously, I'm doing a lot of work with internal family systems, which is a psychological model created by uh, Dr. Richard Schwartz, 
which is really seeing the um, the psyche as parts. And it's just a helpful way of, of, of mapping ourselves. And so I, I want to do more of that probably, you know, cause I'm, I'm just super interested in um, learning more about that in in relation to specific um, areas of life. So probably that currently, but that could change. Ask me tomorrow. It could be different. <laughs> you say family. So I think the family dynamic, but does it necessarily have to be a family or does it apply? Yeah. It's interesting, right? Yeah. Yeah. Internal family systems was actually created based on a family systems model and the way that we see or the way that psychology understands family systems. But what the creator of this modality did was instead of applying it to family systems externally, that we have an inner family. Right. So it's it's understanding. You know how when you say, well, a part of me feels this way, but another part of me feels this way. That's kind of the understanding of it, right? And that we have this very sturdy self, whether it's connected to something bigger or it's, you know, just our, our essence. That is, if we are connected to it, it's just we're able to really get into a space of wisdom and surety that we don't feel when we're taken over by our parts, um, like the inner critic versus the, you know, inner advocate, if we could say it that way. So it's just a way of mapping the what what we saw as external internally. That is interesting. And I'm mm-hmm. sure ask another 20 questions on it, but I won't. Yeah, <laughs> you can. It's super interesting. I mean, it's it's out there in the world. A lot of, it's very popular right now. I actually started working with internal family systems years, 20 years ago. Um, I started my career working with eating disorders. Um, and so I worked in the eating disorder field. And that was the one uh, modality that actually had scientific review and, and um it was like established precedent to actually work with bulimics specifically because there was so few modalities that do. Um, and so it really resonated with me, but I just recently was able to get trained in. And so it's been really wonderful um, to learn more about it, but it's, it's a really beautiful way of, of looking at the self. So very compassionate, which is what's needed to make really important change in mm. my opinion. Have you hit that subscribe button? If you have not subscribed to the Coach Up podcast so that you get notified every single time a new episode drops, make sure you do that right now. And if you're enjoying this episode, leave a review. Your opinion, your thoughts help us to become better and to find the people that you want to hear from to help us talk about the topics that are important to you and to bring you the information you want. So be sure to subscribe, leave a review. Thanks for listening to the Coach Up podcast. You mentioned inner critic, and I think that's probably something that every single person struggles with. Mm-hmm. It is. It is actually. It's it's part of our evolution. We we all have that little piece. It's just a matter of how loud it is, you know? Yeah. yeah. So it's interesting, as you say that, I definitely think about what you just mentioned. You started working with bulimics when you started mm-hmm. coaching initially. Well, I started, uh, so I have a degree, in, um, a Bachelor of Science in Nutrition. So I actually worked as the head nutritionist and nutritional counselor at an intensive outpatient eating disorder clinic. And so we worked with everyone with, you know, the whole, um, the whole gamut of eating disorders from compulsive overeating to anorexia and bulimia and orthorexia and, and all of, all of the dynamics with that. Um, and bulimia is just a very fine tuned, um, and difficult to diagnose specific 
to eating disorders, um, diff- difficult to, um, to heal as far as modalities go. So that's why I, I mentioned it specifically because there's good data around um, internal family systems and bulimia. But I did start there. And then when I, I worked as a nutritionist and then really created my love of really understanding like, oh, this isn't about nutrition at all. <laughs> this is so much bigger than that, you know, people that are working through it. And so that got me into my my um, psychology and then coaching route. Yeah, it truly is mindset, which may be simplifying it, but we hear the mindset piece yeah. and it really is about that. And so as you mentioned, you again, you evolved in your business. I'm curious, you also said, 20 years ago, 22 years ago, the internet wasn't quite the thing it is now. (laughs) So I'm curious, Aleka, how has the business of doing business for you changed in your coaching business over the last 20 years? Like starting from the beginning, how you were operating versus 10 years later versus now. Gosh, I never actually mapped that out, but that is a fascinating question. So for sure... I mean, the internet, I, I didn't have, a, a, so I didn't have a page. I didn't have a website. I didn't have social media. That wasn't a thing, right? Which we might argue was okay, but um, I didn't have any of that. And I mean, if I, I had to meet people in person, yeah. you know, nowadays it's so great because I have clients all over the world, you know? Um, and so it, this technology allows us to, to do this. Um, so that was not a thing. I mean, I did, I could do phone, but even then, if I needed somebody, you know, nowadays I can just email someone a link. So like, Oh, check this out. And I would have had to go to the library or photocopy or go back to the clinic and photocopy stuff and mail it. Oh my god! If someone needed it or hand it to somebody or, you know, make, make, I had a lot of copies. In fact, it was funny. I was going through my attic last um weekend and i found a file cabinet that had all my old papers in it worksheets of everything you could possibly imagine going that's all digital now mm. right but there was a time that i had a manila envelope and i would open it and i would hand some worksheet <laughs> yes so great yeah absolutely do you think doing business now is harder or easier than 10 years ago, and then 20 years ago? You know, I think it's both. I think on some level, you know, back then, um, you would turn it off. You know, it was like a a line of demarcation. Like, you don't have, can't check your email. You know, you check your mail and that's it. So I think now I I would say that one of the greatest things, and you can reach more people, you you know, you have that ability to, um, to just expand in so many ways, but it also puts an added pressure on response time. And I, you know, it, 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 I have a lot of ways clients talk to me rather than just wanting to call me or see me in person. Right. So there's Voxer and there's email and there's voicemails. And, you know, so I, it probably, I probably spend a lot more time at, at that than I used to. Yeah. That's interesting. Especially the point that you bring up. There's a lot more ways for people to talk to you. Yeah, yeah. What parameters do you have in place for yourself to make sure that you can separate yourself away from all that incoming communication? Yeah, that's a really important thing. And I I know in my uh, mentorship group, we talk about this all the time because it's unique to every coach. You know, it's unique to every person. It depends on where you are in your career. 
you know, and what you have going on. So it's, I can only speak to my own experience. Um, I, there's so many different ways to do this. If you're creating your own coaching practice, I personally like to be really available to my clients because I like, I like, I have found that it's more efficient and better if they can contact me when something is happening. You know what I mean? Rather than saying, Oh, wait a week from now when we have an appointment, it's, it's just, I think it's because I have so many clients and I'm, I, I'm kind of, I'm really ready for them to, I love them all, but they should get back to their life, you know, like get out there and do it so that the, we, we don't need to spend six months doing something. If we can do something in a few weeks, even, um, that, that in between session time is so important at the same time, it's really important to have boundaries around that energetically for, for yourself. Um, so typically I have a work day. Um, it starts usually around eight o'clock and it ends usually around seven. And that's the time frame in which I'll respond to someone. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I won't typically after a certain time frame. Sometimes it's a little less, sometimes it's a little more, just depending on what's going on. Yeah. But your clients know that. They do. And you know what? It's amazing. I've been doing this for so long and and I get asked that a lot and I haven't had to put a lot of boundaries in place. Like people are very, at least my, you know, in my experience, my clients, they're very cognizant of that. Mm -hmm. Oh, I don't want to take up your time, but I know you said I could talk to you or reach out. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. You know? So um, I find clients to be incredibly respectful of my time. And I'm, I really appreciate that. Yeah. You mentioned Voxer, voicemail. You mentioned a few Mm -hmm. methods of communication. What tools do you use to communicate with your clients? Depends on what they want, but I have a lot of tools available. Voxer seems to be a really popular way for people to do um, little quick voice, you know, voice drop. I think I had probably three or four this morning already. Um, Voxer exchanges. And then some people prefer email. Um, which is fine. And some people prefer text, lots of texts. Um, And then some people prefer voicemail. And those are probably the primary ways. I mean, some people use WhatsApp, people of the country and stuff like that. But primarily, that's probably the the biggest four. Yeah. As you mentioned, doing business internationally, so you have clients all over the world. When did you, when did you acquire your first international client and how did it happen? It was a long time ago because I was still working a lot with eating disorders and it was somebody, but it was after the internet um, because I had a website and they found me doing a Google search Hmm. and I had done some kind of interview or something like that and was on my site. I don't even know if it's there anymore, Um, but it, um, they really liked my style and uh, they were in, um, yeah, they were in Europe. So, oh, yes, yeah, it is. So probably I would want to say like maybe 15 years ago, okay. 12 years ago, something like that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, again, you're an OG at that. <laughs> That's right. Maybe whenever the internet came out, cause it was really new. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I am curious about the last 20 year journey. Aleka, what was the, do you recall the biggest change that you resisted the most um, that you needed to make mm. in business? over the last 20 years? Probably, gosh, is there, has there been like professionally or personally? Either (laughs) Either one. (laughs) I'm trying to think professionally. I probably am not a fan of social media. 
Like, I don't love it for a lot of different reasons, probably some of my own per- personal reasons. Um, and I'm of the generation that, you know, like the last generation that grew up without it, you know? So I probably have a love-hate relationship with that. So I would say that's been something that I've had to just kind of be uh, be pushed into. Um, and I still just do it my way, totally. Like, I'm such a rebel with it. <laughs> What's your way? What is that? My way, I post when I want to post what I want to post. Um, I don't, because I have, you know, plenty of clients that are into marketing and telling me this is what you should do. And I just, I just, when I feel like I'm, you know, inspired to say something that I do, um, I do, I really try not to use it as a way to, to get clients. I don't need clients that way, it seems. Um, but I just use it as, as a way to inform and to just be more of who I am and to say things that feel important to me. Yeah. So that's you're, that's probably the challenge. Sounds like you're using it for the reason that it was one of the reasons it was initially established to mm-hmm. just share who you authentically are. I hope so. That's that's what I do. I don't even have my picture like on my professional Facebook page or anything. I just I just. I think my Instagram does, but I, I just want it to be like, this is just stuff I want to put out there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned you don't need it to get clients. And I'm sure a coach is going to hear that and say, what's she doing that she doesn't need social media <laughs> to get clients? <laughs> so but I've been doing it before social media. So that's important to note. Um, you know, for me, I get asked that a lot. I get asked that a lot from um, my, my students as well as other interviewers. And um, I wish I had a really, really clear answer about exactly how to make that work for everybody. I think that everybody's coaching practice is really unique and their journey is unique. And I think that there's a lot of really amazing content out there. For me, um, word of mouth seems to be the best way to get out there. I am not saying that I haven't had people contact me from social media. Someone has shared something that I've shared and then someone has reached back out to me or something like that. Cause that has happened, but I don't intend for it to happen that way. I think I just show up as authentically as I can. And then there's some, res- you know, um, people resonate with that in some way. So it's, it's not so much that I'm going, well, I'm not using it for that purpose. It's just not something that I think about, like, I need to say something to get clients. I just need to say what I say. Mm-hmm. And then that, you know, seems to work in that regard. So I, I think that sense of authenticity has been something that I've really tried to embody because it's something that I teach. So um, that word of mouth has been really the way that I've gotten so many of my clients even, even big business clients and, you know, things like that, where someone has said something to somebody who, Hey, and then I, you know, I have this big organization contacting me. So it's interesting how that's worked, but that's just how it's worked for me. I'm not suggesting that it would work for everybody that way. Right. No, it's, it's amazing because if people are willing to recommend you, then that means your reputation is solid. Right. Um, because when anybody recommends anybody, then they're putting their reputation on the line for you. So that says a lot about me. <laughs> um, and so, no, I, I don't think that there's ever going to be a better way for business to be created than referrals and recommendations. So kudos to you for that. You, you mentioned that you also get, you've gotten business um, mm-hmm. account from there. What do you do mm-hmm. in the business realm, Aleka? How did you yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually love working uh, with businesses and groups specifically. So sometimes it's um, a lot of it is honestly conflict re- resolution and interpersonal communication coaching. Right. So we're working on how even the nuts and bolts of communication. It's sort of interesting because I've, I've done a lot of training and I work a lot with couples. And so couples coaching, right, which is interpersonal, interpersonal communications and a lot of um, learning how to communicate in effective ways and communication as a skill. It's interesting that we think of it as it's innate, but it's actually not learning how to communicate really effectively is actually there's important skills to that. So um, I think of business coaching and, and the programs that I've created or worked with um, with businesses has been just that on a bigger scale. You know, learning how to communicate effectively, learning how to assert ourselves, learning how to use conflict as a tool to grow, you know, and use it as a productive thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll ask because I'm sure somebody is curious. And then I want to ask about communication is a skill, even though we think it's innate. It is innate. <laughs> I definitely want to come back to that. Um, when you work with businesses, do you, um, how do you structure your contracts or how do you pitch? I just want to understand that process because I think as coaches think, oh, I can expand or I want to expand. Mm-hmm. What does that process look like? What do I, what steps do I need to prepare in order to present my best self and potentially close those clients? It's a really good question. It's important. Um, so for me, and I can only speak to my own experience, I've been contacted by them. I haven't pitched to them necessarily. They would say, hey, I need you to come in. Sometimes it's a very small business of a few people. Sometimes it's it's quite large and we have to do subgroups. Mm-hmm. Um, so usually it's them contacting me and me asking them, what is it you're looking for? What is it that you need? You know, what is it that the problem that you're seeing is? And so from there, then I can create a proposal. This is what I think should happen. I think we should do a few of these groups, or I think, you know, just creating, sometimes it's, we just need, you know, a place for, you know, I just want to facilitate this for the, my employees as a place to just process stuff or meet their goals or whatever. So it's more of a personal thing. So it just, it totally depends on what the, the contact person that I'm speaking to um, needs. Mm. Okay. Right. And then I, then I create from there, but I'm assuming that you could do it the opposite way. I mean, you could create something and then bring it to businesses as well. I know plenty of uh, coaches that have done that. Right. Yeah. It's, it's definitely um, client to coach to client. Great business. Coach to business, just a little more lucrative t- typically. And so, <laughs> um, and also you have the opportunity to meet and influence typically a larger number of people in a sure. small time, which is really cool. Okay. I want to go back to you. Communication is a skill versus innate. Mm-hmm. Okay. I consider communication when we start talking at, you know, age seven months <laughs> and, and then it evolves as we continue to hear sounds around us and try to sound it out. Um, why then do we consider it a skill that people need to learn? Yeah, such a good question. So communication itself is probably innate, right? We, we can form sounds and those sounds are connected to things and then that creates meaning. But good and healthy communication is learned, right? Mm-hmm. The way in which you communicate and how functional it is, is learned. 
a lot of times, um, well, I'll just give you one example because there's you know so much. It's such a great topic and it's so big. But for example, one thing I've noticed is think of how how much time we as students are taught to read and to write, and how little we're taught to listen. Like what the skill of listening is, which would be paraphrasing, questioning you know, really being, it's being other oriented, being in someone else's space to really hear what they're saying versus how we're hearing it. We tend to listen to, to react or respond rather than listen to understand. And so listening, for example, is a skill and we don't honestly teach that very well. Right. I'm sorry. Okay, no, I'm sorry. Keep going. I'll write that down and come back. Keep going. Okay. Yeah. So that is something that, I mean, I, I that's like a basic thing is if I'm working with companies or I'm working with couples or working with anyone to be able to say like, how well do you listen? And so that's what I mean by a skill. It means pausing. It means not talking right away. It means really staying with the other person um, and even visualizing what they're saying. I mean, there's all these other kind of micro skills to that skill, but that's just one aspect of it. The other piece that's really important is um, a lot of times people, feelings and communication get very interconnected. So we think that person said something that made me mad. Therefore, I'm going to be, show them my anger. I'm going to use words that are angry rather than going, why did that make me mad? What's that about for me? Did that, hmm, it's kind of that pause. So the reactivity part of communication is actually something that many of us need to unlearn. You just dropped a hole. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Okay. The reactivity to communication Mm -hmm. that we receive is something we need to learn. Okay, go a little bit deeper. Yeah, so if you've ever noticed that, um, first of all, a lot of the communication style that we've had has been conditioned or mirrored to us. We tend to learn communication from the people that showed us how to communicate, right? So that's a really wonderful thing. We humans are really adaptable and able to pick up cues really quickly. But if those communication styles are unhealthy, then we continue to communicate in ways that aren't healthy. Right. So if we grew up in a situation where we saw a lot of defensiveness and a lot of blame, we didn't see a lot of accountability. Maybe we didn't see an amends or a repair. A repair is a style of communication. What you do when there's been an an offense, right, or a a hurt. Um, A repair is probably one of the most important parts of communication, but we don't teach that what a proper repair looks like. So. I think we can get into these reactivity spaces where if we're super reactive or it wasn't okay to be wrong or someone says to us, hey, I'm upset that you did that thing. Our instant reaction is, no, I didn't. You made me do it. You know, it's your fault, not mine. You know, rather than stopping a little bit and going, oh, that I wonder why that made sense to that person and kind of pausing to get clear on these feelings we're having are they really about the situation or is this some deeper trigger here that we're, we're reacting to, right? And when we react, we only reenact. So we just continue this like cycle of reactivity and reactivity and reactivity, and there's no change 
there. How do we change? Yeah, so it's to, first of all, note that, right? There's a great rule in communication that talks about, you know, having to be really aware of our own uh, um, activations or triggers. If something, somebody says something to us that's super triggering or activated, rather than just reacting, stopping and getting curious about why is that bothering me so much? There's an, it's in communication, they call it the 80-20 rule where there's probably 20% of what that person said is about this moment. And 80% is probably something that you're reacting to deeper in your, in yourself. And so being able to flesh those out is really important because if you react and throw that 80% at that person, that's not fair either. Right. So being just really aware of your own um, strengths and then also, you know, triggers around um, uh, your own stuff to use a very, you know, scientific term. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. That makes that makes sense then. I understand. Yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. Pausing is probably the most important thing, right? Stopping for a minute when we're communicating. Yeah. yeah. Pausing is powerful, yet it's so uncomfortable for mm. often the person who's doing it because it's not our natural instinct. And it is often uncomfortable for the people we're doing it with because oftentimes they're going to interpret something out of that pause that is not the reason that you're pausing. Good point. <laughs> Which then goes to the communication potentially breaking down worse. Right? I love that. That's so important, right? Because we're triggering people even our pauses. Um, yeah, you know, communication is actually a skill that should create intimacy rather than destroy it. It's it's actually really, a conflict is so great at growth. Like we, we can't have growth without some sense of conflict, right? So learning how to do conflict well is, is such an important skill. I want to ask about um, listening. You mm -hmm. talked about, we're not taught to listen. Aleka, how do you teach people to listen? Like, mm. What are those exercises mm -hmm. that you're doing with people to, with the focus, I'm teaching you to listen. I'm not teaching you to write, I'm not teaching you to speak, teaching you to listen. Right. Yeah, that's so important. So there's a couple of skills that are really required for good listening. Um, other being other oriented is is a term in interpersonal communication. So really understanding where the other person is coming from. So another word that relates to that is empathy. You know, being able to tell yourself, how does this make sense to that person? Right? Not how am I hearing it? How, what, what is this person from their perspective, who they are? Why does this feel so important to them? Right. How can I understand it from their perspective, not my perspective? Because we understand it from my perspective. We are already coming up with reasons why it's wrong or right or we agree or disagree rather than saying, huh, that's so interesting that you see it that way. And then paraphrasing is really important to listening. So let me see if I have this right. You paraphrase what they said. Do I have that right? Yeah, you have that right. That's fascinating. And usually someone will continue talking. Mm -hmm. Right. The other thing that's really important to listening, besides just being other oriented and empathy, is really looking for nonverbal cues. So important. Right. Like so much of communication happens. I think it's like 70 or 75 percent happens with 
non-verbally. So being real, listening is about really observing and watching and noticing and basically being out of your own head, right? And really observing what someone else is, is doing and feeling. Do you have any activities that you take people through? And you may need to not even teach on this. And I'm just asking you as though you mm-hmm. do. But if you do, do you have any yeah. activities that you can talk about and that you can share that maybe people can say, oh, I can incorporate this. Yeah, I do it all the time. Um, So one thing is a concept um, called rethinking, which is really important for listening. So the first thing is you're listening to understand and maybe evolve your own ideas, not listening to be right and defend them. So when I work, so being open to new ideas is really important because we tend to not be open. You know, we like our own. Um, When I'm working with couples, the way that we practice this a lot, and you can do this in your own life, you can do this with people you care about, is to um, say somebody says something, and then we'll turn to the other person and say, can you, what did you hear? Right? And then that person repeats it, paraphrasing body language, saying what they observed, I'm noticing this, do I have that right, checking in, and then vice versa. So you practice by doing all of those things. The pause is very important. Right. Just really. So you can do that even when you go to the grocery store, when you're, you know, just trying to be really observant, listen to a podcast and just be observant about, hmm, how is this landing with me? What is this person trying to say? Yeah. Any books you'd recommend that help? Yeah, there's actually a book that I, well, it's not specifically to listening. I'm I'm sure that there's very technical books on interpersonal communications, but it's by Adam Grant. It was actually in my favorite books. I can never get the name right. So I'm going to look at it because you asked me about that. Um, uh, Think again, the power of knowing what you don't know. It's a great book as far as understanding that kind of just that other oriented perspective. So I, and he does a great podcast too. I love his work. Uh, Okay. So what I think is really cool about that is I always do listen to the podcast you all know that I always ask my guests at the end for a book or a podcast that they would recommend. And the fact that we're in this conversation about communication and that was the book that you chose. I love that. Do you well, the other book? book I chose in relation, I forgot to say that, is uh, by Amanda Ripley, which is High Conflict, How We Get Trapped and How We Get Out. Great book about conflict. Something you said, I'd like to learn more about that. She, um, I think those two books are really relevant to just now and what we're living and just some of the intensity of what we're living these days, really great books to really understand maybe a little bit more, not just about conflict in our own lives, um, and how to be good listeners, but just taking that into a bigger space. So very much so, because what I heard you say, Aleka, as you were talking is essentially Communication is really more about asking questions than sharing a message. Yeah. And it's not even asking questions necessarily of the other person, but asking questions additionally within yourself about what the other person is saying or where they're coming from, which then can help to improve. Right. Yeah, it's all about understanding. I mean, we're really trying to understand most of my day when I'm working with clients is saying, Help me understand how that makes sense to you or some part of you. Because mm-hmm. it does somewhere. Even if it's dysfunctional, it makes sense somewhere, yeah. you know? And then we we can't change what we can't fully understand. So as soon as we understand it, like, oh, that thing that I'm doing is helping me, you know, not take risks because that's super scary. 
now I'm being like, oh, that's that makes sense to me. Right. What does that part need to to feel better? Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah, yeah. I'm going to assume um, you've learned this through a number of mediums, a number of sources, um, but I would imagine some of it has come in the coaching training mm-hmm. done. Mm-hmm. And so you have chosen to be a professionally trained coach. Um, I don't know, do we call it credentialed, licensed, certified? What is that terminology and why did you decide to go that route? Yeah, so thank you. That's a great question. Um, yes, I did. Um, so there's there's many, coaching is unregulated. Let's just start there, right? Coaching is an unregulated practice, which is very different than uh, therapy and some of the other coaching or uh, some of the other helping um, per- professionally um organized um, occupations. And so because of that, I think it's really important that we we note that. So coaching, you can call yourself a life coach and do a weekend or not. You can be trained in something else, you know, and be a life coach. And I'm not suggesting that that's not, there are some fabulous coaches, you know, out in the world that do that. Um, for me, I wanted to have more of a background. I came from more of a traditional therapy route because when I worked at the eating disorder um, clinic, everyone I worked with was clinicians, you know, and so I wanted to have a, just a little bit um, more clout. I wanted to have ethics. I wanted to have um, a board that I answered to. I just wanted that. So I um, I did a training program with um, that was credentialed through the International Coaching Federation, which is the most, I think it's the biggest at this point, and it's the most well-known internationally. So the International Coaching Federation has many different levels of accreditation. The most basic level is the ACC, you know, and then you get that, which is the, um, um, I, I wonder what the acronym is. I'm not exactly sure what that is, but the PCC is professional coaching credentials. And then the MCC is master coaching credentials. So it's something to that effect, but it's a certain number of, um, you have to go through a particular program. You have supervised coaching, a number of hours, you have a test, you have, you know, it's all very standardized. And so everyone's getting a lot of the same information. And then you have to, as I said, doing um, continuing education. I chose that route because I'm actually able to do way a more trainings that way. There's some professional trainings that I was able that I'm able to do that are only for accredited coaches, right? And it's also in my experience when I work with a lot of colleagues, they see that little differently than they see um, someone that's maybe you know not done any training. Mm-hmm. So it just gives you a leg up professionally. Okay. Because I, I was going to ask if I was a coach and I'm not credentialed mm-hmm. and I haven't done that, why? And I'm building a thriving, successful business. Why do I need to add that? You may not. You know, I mean, if you're building a great business and that's working for you, and no, in no way am I suggesting that you you have to. I will say, just because I'm sort of in um, um, in the in the realm of of the back channels here, that there there is a lot of talk around cr- like creating requirements for coaches because it's so unregulated right now and there has been some some overlap that hasn't been so great you know for professional coaches that aren't coaches doing therapy and so because of that i do think it will probably be required at some point there's a lot of talk 
about what that's going to look like and how states can can create that. So I wouldn't be surprised if it happens. And so a lot of times with new coaches, I'll say, hey, just FYI, you might have to do this eventually. We'll see, maybe not. Um, so if you are going to do one, a program, you might as well just do one that's accredited through an association and then you don't have to do it later. Right. Um, but I'm, I'm assuming that there'll probably be some some legislation around that. You mentioned state. You think it would be from the state level? I don't know. That's how they do credentialing now through a lot of traditional therapists. You know, it's like state boards and you're certified via state. So I am not sure how that would work out. I know that the International Coaching Federation is deep in the weeds of trying to legislate for um, like what that would look like. And I don't know enough about it to know exactly what it's going to look like. But I know that that particular organization is directly involved in it. Gotcha. Aleka, what do you think would happen or will happen if coaching is regulated to the industry as we know it now? I don't know. I, did, I guess it would depend on what the requirements would be. You know, I don't know if they would grandfather in all coaches or what that would be like. I'm not exactly sure. You know, and I'm not even saying it should happen. I just know that it could. Um, and I just think that it's really important for people to understand clients and clinicians and everybody to understand um, the different levels of training that people have gone through or not. And it doesn't necessarily mean they're not good coaches. There's, as I said, you know, I, I think there's some great coaches out there that don't have extensive training and vice and some probably not some great ones that, that do. So, but it's just really important to be um, to be really open and honest with your clients about where you are and what you've done and why. Yeah. That makes sense because different people are going to look for different things, right? Exactly. Yeah. Some people, I mean, contact me because they know that, you know, I, I work closely with the International Coaching Federation and have that background. Um, and some people don't, don't care at all. I will say this is anecdotal, obviously, but from a professional perspective, colleagues seem to be like understanding my background. They, they're much more willing to, to work with me. Mm -hmm. Okay. seem like, oh, you're, I've even had um, trainings and people I've met at trainings and clinicians say, oh, you're, you're PCC level coach. And I'm like, yeah, they know what that means. And that changes something for them. Again, I don't know if that's good or bad. It's just information. Yeah. On that topic, were there any other thoughts that you had around that credential versus non-credentialing for coaches? Well, I will say, yeah, from a Rame, you talked about this earlier, which I think is important. And I, I don't know even out what a big deal this is, but from a liability perspective, being credentialed is a good idea because you have, I mean, I have a whole ethics board that has my back. If for some reason something weird happened, I mean, I have all liability insurance and all the things anyone needs to have. But with, with that, I know that I'm protected because I, you know what I mean? Like, that's that's one of the perks that I have. If I have any questions, if I need anything, I mean, I, I'm on a national registry, you know, they, there's a lot of perks to it that when you're developing your business, um, it's, it's important to know too. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting that you said your ethics board to have your back, whereas I think some people would look at an ethics board as restrictive. So mm -hmm. I really like your perspective of mm -hmm. what they're for. Can you, hmm. yeah. I would imagine that if I thought the ethics were out of line, 
that would probably create tension in me. Like, oh, I don't like, but their rules or their ethics are exactly what my ethics are, you know, like, you know, the confidentiality and scope of practice and, you know, all the things that I think are really important. So to me, it feels really good to, to, um, to like, if somebody were upset with something I I'm doing to be able to have a board, that's like, okay, we, this person is on the up and up, you know, they, they're there to support anything that I would need. I've never needed that, but it's nice to know that I have that in my back pocket. So I don't see it as a restriction at all. Yeah. You also mentioned liability insurance. Mm-hmm. I like, I love the fact that you're bringing up things that I've not heard elsewhere. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I've heard coaches talk about having insurance for their business. So my question is, can you expound upon that? Because I'm thinking, are you talking about liability insurance for your business as a whole or because you are a coach and there's separate insurance that goes with that? I have separate coaching insurance that goes with that, um, with like as my, well, my business. And then actually, interestingly enough, it was required. I used to have an office before the pandemic, right? And I, I actually shared an office with clinicians, other therapists and psychotherapists and other coaches. Um, and we all had this top floor. Um, and I, I, it was required that my, that I have liability insurance to be able to do business right there. Um, but I think anyone that's in business for themselves should have liability insurance just in case something happens anywhere. Um, so I've always had it from day one. I've, I, I didn't know you couldn't actually, I just assumed like, Oh, you always want to be careful of this. When I went through my coaching training, that was a, that was definitely something that was important. I used to, um, and every once in a while, I still am a group fitness instructor. So I, I taught fitness and I had liability insurance for that, right? I used to teach scuba diving and obviously that's a little bit more high risk, but I had liability insurance for that. You know, so of course, when I started my own coaching practice, it was like, you know, liability insurance for that. But I think people would get... Okay, in a physical place, you have liability in case something mm-hmm. physically happens. In a fitness class or scuba diving, sure. physicality is involved. But I now work out of my home. I communicate with individuals via Zoom or whatever mm-hmm. modality is being used. What am I what am I paying protection for? Right? It's such a great question. I think what we would just need to do is maybe look at some of the frivolous lawsuits that people sue for and to say, could we come up, could we potentially come up with some reasons why somebody would sue you? Mm. Right. Could we, it, it, even as ridiculous as it sounded, could we, and I bet we could, you know what I'm saying? So therefore you should probably have liability insurance. That's, that's sort of how my brain works. And it could be my like high functioning, like OCD parts coming out being like, we have to be hypervigilant, but, um, I just think that in this world, things happen and better to be safe than sorry. I've not seen it. I mean, I I can't say that I can give you all these examples of it happening. I just think that sometimes people, you know, sue for all kinds of reasons. Absolutely. And it's just like car insurance or home insurance. You don't expect Mm -hmm. anything's going to happen, but we have it just in case. And through the International Coaching Federation, they have great links. It's not that expensive. I mean, it's 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 really not. It's only a few hundred dollars, I think, every maybe two years. It's not ridiculous, right? 
but it's definitely nice to have in case there was something strange. Thank you for saying that because that I was curious about costs. Are we talking about hurricane mm-hmm. insurance costs on a no? Or are we talking about yes, something that's reasonable? So that's good to know. I'm yeah. also curious. What do people ask for? So like if somebody's saying they're hearing this and they're thinking, okay, I need to, I need to check in. What do they even ask for and who do they ask, especially if they're not working with a coaching organization? You can get it really anywhere. I mean, I bet you if you Googled coaching insurance right now, there would be like companies that do it. You can talk to, um, go talk to your local insurance person. They can offer you coaching insurance. I mean, it's not that strange, you know, it's, it's out there. Other professionals do it all the time. You know, therapists have it, you know, they have insurance for what they do. And so coaching is just another offshoot of that. I like it because I, I, I like that you brought that up because as we talked about, coaching is unregulated. And I think sometimes when there's not necessarily an established, established parameters, requirements for things, we tend to get a little lax and we don't, mm-hmm the same things that we would um, to something that already has established rules and policies and governing bodies to what's not. And so this is really good to say, no, this is a business where just like a therapist, just like a doctor who has malpractice insurance, mm-hmm. you need protection. And so it's really helpful. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, sure. I actually have an LLC. My company is an LLC, right? Which is even another added protection in case, you know, something strange would happen. But, you know, I've been doing this for a while to kind of just, I think that's just important in the way that businesses grow. Mm-hmm. You know, you just get more legally, um, um, I don't even know what that term would be, just efficient or something, you know? Yeah. That completely makes sense. Okay, as we start to wrap up here, um, we're going to next go to the quick fire round mm. where you go questions. But before we get there, I have one last question for you, Aleka. Sure. Have you always dreamed of doing voiceover from home but have no idea how to get started? My name's Jesse Carroll, and I put together the perfect course for you. It's called the VoiceOver Jumpstart course. It's a course that's designed to take you from knowing absolutely nothing about voiceover all the way to everything you need to know to be a working professional in only six weeks. So if you want more information, head over to jessiecarrollcoaching.com and you can even book a one-on-one call with me if you want to find out if it's right for you. So thanks for listening to the Coach Up podcast and hope to see you in the course. I am curious because again, I have so enjoyed hearing your knowledge shared a lot of it I can tell comes from the self-development and the continuing education that you do for yourself, which is amazing. It also comes through you applying that through your years of experience as a coach. And so I'm curious what you would recommend in addition to being your authentic, authentic self. In addition to that, what you would recommend to coaches to help them achieve longevity in this industry as you have? Wow. That's an awesome question. Um, I, I think as far as longevity goes, you, you have to continue to do your own work. Keep, keep stoking your fire, keep finding your passion. There's a reason why this brought you in. You love it for some reason. And I think that, I think that's probably why I've evolved so much is because I'm always trying to, Oh, that's interesting. I want to learn that. And I, as soon as I learn that I never want to get to a place of stagnant or feeling bored working with clients, 
you know? And so I, I would just say whatever allows you that ability to keep growing and keep exploring and keep that fire stoked is um, really important. That's fair enough. Yeah. I think that is a good place to segue. All okay. right. Are you ready? Sure. Okay. Aleka, before you go, quick fire round. Question number one. What one solar app would you not do business without right now? This one, Zoom. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's how I meet all clients these days. Yeah. Okay. Do you use any special features of Zoom outside of just the it records? And recording. Recording and, sh and sharing screen. Because I do a lot of teaching and then the, the whiteboard. Um, so I use all those teaching tools. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Um, people, I've had meetings and individuals use Otter AI, yep. I think. Do you use that? No. No, okay. Yes, <laughs> but I've, I've, I've been on those meetings and it's awesome. I haven't gotten there yet. So. <laughs> I'm with you. I was like, okay. Um, okay. What tool do you use to collect payments from your clients? Um, all the, the apps, right? So I use PayPal. Um, um, what else? Venmo, uh, Cash App, Zelle. Um, and sometimes every once in a while, someone will mail me a check. There you go. It doesn't happen often, but every once in a while. Yeah. And the mail still works from when you started originally. I know. So now. Yeah. Okay. I think we talked about this, but your most effective method in finding and securing new clients. It's, that's in my case, it'll be word of mouth um, referrals. Yeah. And then what tool do you use to actually set up your client meetings? I use a pointy right now. Well, that's a different one. I've not heard. Oh, you've not heard of it? Yeah, I like that one. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm, I don't know. I'm sure there's better ones out there, maybe, but I've, I've used it forever. I love it. A pointy. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Okay. One thing you attribute the most weight to in scaling your business to six figures. It's honestly doing what I love to do. I mean, I, I think I would do this even if I wasn't doing it, you know, professionally. I just, I've always been here. Um, so knowing what you love about it. And you talked about not having a niche. I I mean, I, I sort of have a niche, but just being able to really get to the why of why you want to do this and what lights you up. Yeah. Okay. That goes back to just what you were talking about, the longevity that you're passionate. Exactly. Yeah. Stay passionate. Okay. You've given us two books already. Are there any other on that list? Um, and probably the only thing I can think of is um, um, No Bad Parts by Dr. Richard Schwartz, which is if anyone is interested in any of the internal family systems work, that's the book I would start with. Yeah. And then yeah, since I talked about it today. Um, yeah. Podcasts, I love. Oh, you know what? Another book I absolutely love. I, I should name this. I wrote it down. Um, the New Science of Everyday Wonder and How It Can Transform Your Life. Did you see it? It's about awe. It's about the feeling awe, A-W-E. Oh, and it, okay. it's beautiful. It's a new book, but it's awe, the new science of everyday wonder. Um, and I just, I, it's such a beautiful book. And it was just a really interesting way of looking at the world. Um, podcasts, I like, um, currently I'm listening to a lot of Adam Grant's podcast, which is Think Again, I believe it's called. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Aleka, this has been super exciting for me. I have been anticipating this conversation for a while. And I'll tell you one thing, part of it was um, you being so, having such experience in the industry, but also when I met you, your waterfall stream way of reacting 
or not reacting is beautiful. What do I mean by that? You are, it is, it is what it is and it's okay. Whatever you need, handle. What I need, I'm going to handle. There doesn't have to be a conflict. Mm-mm. It is fine. And I, it just came through and resonated throughout our first conversation. And I just thought, that is just a wonderful individual to have a conversation with. And so I, just, I applaud you for that. And it, it was one thing that made me very excited to be able to talk to you again, because it's, I can see how your clients would, people talk about no judgment mm. in coaching. Just in 15 minutes of talking to you, I can see that you embody that. And mm. it makes people very comfortable. And it made me very comfortable in talking to you. Thank you. What what beautiful feedback. I, I would say, I, I mean, this has been just a you and me conversation. I'm not sure who's going to see it, but it just really felt like we were just chatting. It's great. I love your your style as well. I really appreciate that. Thank you. This yeah. has been great. Thank you for your time. Anytime. Yeah. Thank you so much. I really appreciated our conversation. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Coach Up Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with someone else, with another fellow entrepreneur, a friend who you know needs to hear this message. Also, if you've enjoyed listening to the Coach Up Podcast, be sure to subscribe so that you get notification every time a new episode comes out. And if you would be so kind as to make sure that you go follow me at The Connection Collaborator on Instagram or LinkedIn at LinkedIn forward slash Kanisha Hart, then I would be delighted to connect with you, hear from you and hear your feedback on how the Coach Up podcast is helping you in your business. Again, as always, thanks for being a part of the Coach Up podcast. We will see you on the next episode.